privilege to share with you this morning. And um, I'm going to share around the story of Ruth. Um, I'm guessing everyone, let's close your eyes. Just show me if anyone doesn't know the story of Ruth. Okay, lovely. Thank you, Dino. Uh, Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And I thank you for your words that you drop your words into our hearts. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord, and we will glorify you. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to speak this morning about um, a kinsman redeemer. And just to kind of get into the context of it, we've been talking about three keys. I can't even remember since when, if it was before this year or this year. I'm sure the three keys were your mom. And just the, the, what the Lord has given us as a congregation for the season. And God has been interpreting it for us as we go along. And the, the three key, we, I feel, is, is to a large, large extent taken up that key. And it's a lot to do with DCT and the Jamison and lots of things. And the students are running with that in a big way. Um, the lion is, the key is bigger because the key and the eagle are more things that you can see in the natural. The lion is more something that happens in the spirit. And it's about the prophetic voice, and it's about the sound that the Lord makes, the sound of the shofar, the announcement. Songs of the prophets is why, is because that of that key, we had songs of the prophets. Um, we're having songs of the prophets again next year. It's now been decided. So you're invited, and let people know who want to write songs. Um, we'll be... Um, Wanting to encourage people to submit songs, write prophetic songs, which are saying what the Lord is saying. And we have a board and we'll choose from that. Um, actually, Shofar in Johannesburg is very keen to work with us. And this next year, the, the Songs of the Prophets will be in Cape Town and Joburg. And um, basically, all their staff is also really working with us. Lauren Frenier, some of you know, is going to be on the board with me and Stefan and AB will be involved. So... Um, we're excited about that. And then the eagle, as Rena also mentioned in the vision this morning, the Lord's been speaking to us about specific things. Um, and the eagle, to me, very much represents land. And in, in a spirit sense, when we talk about taking land, so we have to not think about the news. Um, but when we talk about taking land, as we do in, in the Bible and in the Christian paradigm, land, what is that actually? Maybe let me ask you. When, when we say we're taking land for the kingdom, what territory? But what, is, what does it look like? People. What about the people? Hearts. So it's good sometimes to know, even if you pray, to understand what you're really praying for. If you're asking lo- the Lord to give you the land, you might be envisioning soil, but the soil, the kind of soil we're talking about is the soil in hearts. You know, how do you take a territory? So how does the kingdom come in a territory? Literally, it comes in hearts. Every heart that turns to God, every heart that changes, that's the territory coming to the kingdom. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit from Ruth. And why I'm doing that is I believe the Lord gave me a small key. So those are the three big keys, and that we're running with that. I believe that the one, the eagle one is what we're really running with at the moment as a church, and the Lord is still revealing to us. 
But as we go along, um, the Lord gives little things. So this morning, it's, it's not one of the main things we're running with, but it's something that ties into it from the book of Ruth. And I'm going to explain the concept and then talk about that. So if we read from Ruth chapter 2. So Naomi and her, two, her husband and her two sons moved out of the promised land in a drought, famine. And um, they lived in Moab. And her two sons married Moabite women, Ruth and um, I can't remember the other one. Um, and then somehow we don't know how her husband died and her two sons died. So she's left with just her two daughters. She hears that the famine has ended in the promised land, so she wants to move back to her people. She says to her daughters, you stay here. Orpah stays. Ruth says, I'll go with you, in the phrase that we always use in, at weddings. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Um, then they now back in... Um, the promised land, but they are two women, and in the context of this time of history, that's a pretty bad situation to be in. So a woman doesn't have any rights. You can't own something. Um, you can't do any transactions. All it all goes through the men. So you need a father or you need a husband to actually exist in society. If you don't have that, then you're really destitute. And so they come back, and people seem to recognize her and they're happy that she's back, Naomi, and um, she's astonished and she's, uh, they say, yeah, th there's joy because you've come back and she says, no, there's no joy, there's just bitterness because I've lost my husband, I've lost my sons and I'm destitute now. So now they're trying to just make a living for themselves and Naomi says to Ruth, this is the law that God instituted that they don't, when they um, harvest the fields, everything that falls down, they don't go back and pick it up, they leave it for the poor. So Ruth goes to a field and she picks up, they call it gleaning, she picks up what they've got. And we pick up the story, um, she goes to Boaz's field and Naomi says, no, but actually Boaz is, is family of us. And he said to that day, he realized that Ruth was gleaning and he said, he told his workers to protect her and he told them to actually drop extra things for her. We pick up the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers, kinsman redeemer. Didn't take that away, I meant. So in the Old Testament, because the society was set up so that women couldn't do anything, um, God made provision for that in a system which is called a kinsman redeemer. So we put up the scripture in Leviticus to describe how it worked. If one of your brethren becomes poor, has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years, restore the remainder, and may return to his possession. If he's not able to have it restored, what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee, Jubilee and Jubilee shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. So in the context of literal land, um, God says when his people moved into the promised land, he allocated land for each tribe. And technically, if everything went according to God's laws, the tribes can't lose their land to one of the other tribes. 
it's about a family. So the each tribe is a family, and you can make them back to one of the 12 brothers. So in this family, there's land. So you can become poor and sell your land, but someone in your family has the right to buy it back. And the person who bought it has to let it go to them if if because this is the kinsman redeemer. So it's myself and Matthew were family, and I was poor and I lost my land. And Matthew was my closest family, then he could buy it back. And the person to whom I sold it could not refuse. This was he had to buy it back. He had to allow Matthew to buy it back if Matthew was willing to do that. If my whole family was poor and no one wanted to buy it back to me, worst case scenario, we'll get to the year of Jubilee, which is every 50 years, and then it, I get it back. So if everything works according to plan, at the end of the day, the tribes would keep the land that God has allocated to them. They can't lose it. So in the same way, if I was married and my husband died, the my closest, my husband's closest relative can be my kinsman redeemer actually it has to work like that so he can then marry me to make sure that I'm not destitute if he if there's someone else that's a little bit further related who wants to do it and he doesn't want to do it then it can be passed along to the next one so now Naomi says well this Ruth tells her about the day Naomi sees she actually brought home quite a lot and she's asking, how does this happen? And she says, no, this man, let the workers drop extra for me, etc." And Naomi says, this is amazing. And then Ruth says, it's Boaz. And Naomi says, this is amazing because Boaz is related to us. So he could actually be a kinsman redeemer for us. Obviously understanding that this is massive. The moment that this happens, their whole situation changes. So Technically, Boaz can marry Naomi and be a kinsman redeemer to her. What would also happen is her, Naomi's husband's land that he lost or sold, or what we don't, we don't know what the situation was when they left, but the land that used to belong to him, if Boaz marries Naomi, she can live on that land again. As much as is, I, I want to say she could own it again, but women couldn't own land, but she can live from it live on it, live from it, and her children can inherit it. So two things happen at once. They become protected. They get back into a functional part of society. They get back into their inheritance, that, that which they had. So for some reason that we're not exactly sure, Naomi makes this plan, whereas rightly, Boaz, she should have, approach Boaz to marry her, she now sets up Ruth, which is okay because it's her daughter, although it's now one step down. Um, and she asked Ruth to go there at night and lie by his feet, and even if you read up some of the commentaries, no one really understands how that worked, <laughs> um, why that worked, and what custom that was. But anyways, um, she lied by his feet, and he woke up and he saw her there, and it must have been some custom because he understood what it meant. <laughs> I don't know if you will understand what it means. <laughs> I, I won't find someone by your feet at night. I'll probably kill them. <laughs> um, and he says that he, he asks her, um, 
if she wants to marry him, and she says yes, and he says that's amazing because he would have thought she would want a young husband. And he says, but now the problem is there is someone else who's a closer relative. And I can't marry you unless that person gets the first option. So unless that person says, no, I can't do it. Um, so and then obviously with the, when you marry her, you also buy back, you have to buy back the land so that she can live on it. So there's two implications. So Boaz says, just give me some time. I'm going to speak to this relative. Now he goes to this relative. Now he says to him, um, Naomi's husband's land is now available to be redeemed. I would like to redeem it. I would like to buy it. But you have the first option. And he says, yes, I want to buy it. You know, why not? Great. Um, and he knows that then he also has to marry Naomi. And now the problem, the thing is, if he marries Naomi, she's old. She's not going to have sons anymore. She's not going to have children. So she has a daughter, but she's not going to have sons. So if this relative redeems the land and marries Naomi, at some point she'll die. She's not going to have sons. So that, that land will become his until the year of Jubilee. And it will become part of his estate. And his children will inherit it. And um, that would be a good deal for him. So he'd still have to pay for the land. So, I mean, he's, he's not getting it for free. He's buying it. But he knows that in buying it, he'll get to keep it at least until Jubilee. And this is how everything worked. So that was normal. That wasn't a deterrence. But then Boaz said to him, no, actually, it's not Naomi that you have to marry. It's Ruth. And then immediately the guy says, oh, no, thank you. You, you can take the land. And this is because Ruth was young. And he knew that she would have children if he married her. And if she had sons, then her sons would inherit that land. So the situation for him would be, he spends a large amount of capital buying this land. And then actually she would have sons. And then actually his entire estate gets divided between his sons when he dies. So her sons will split his inheritance with his previous sons. And he, his family inheritance will be fractured. So he, he's a businessman and he makes the calculation and he says, no, no, thank you. You can have her. <laughs> and then Boaz um, signs the deal. They each take off a shoe and they exchange. This is how they um, sign the deal. I always wonder if they like they gave it back later. Because you, like, you can't wear someone else's shoe. <laughs> what do you do with this like one shoe? But anyways, maybe they hang it on the wall like, like a contract. Um, so they exchange shoes. The deal's made. Boaz marries Ruth. He, he redeems back the land. This is a, a significant life change for Naomi and Ruth. Their whole world changes because they are now functional members of society again. They get to live on the land. They get to um, do business and produce, and they are cared for now. And Ruth's sons will now have an inheritance. And obviously, we know, do you know who Ruth's son was? Who knows? Obed, father of? Jesse, father of David, lineage of Jesus. So obviously there's a big um, mandate and a big purpose there. God 
was busy in that story with something massive, the lineage of Jesus. You don't really get bigger than that. Um, so then, good ending, and the Lord also blesses Naomi, and she then goes back from being bitter to being happy. The chapter ends where she's holding Obed in her arms and saying, the Lord has been good to me. So there's this whole story, and we know that often from the Old Testament, it's it's real. I hope I have my own. <laughs> Can't cut air. It's not stories in the Old Testament. It's things that really happen. I mean, it's stories, but it really it's history. Um, but God records it, and he speaks to us through it today. So through this specific story, if you had to draw an analogy, we are... Um, part of God's inheritance. And when we don't know God, before we get to know God, we are actually sold out to sin. So we're actually sold out of our inheritance. So through original sin, through Adam sin sinning and everything sinning, through you are born in sin. So you get born sold out to sin. You get born in sin. And the only way for you to get back to the inheritance that God has for you is that someone needs to redeem you. Okay, so who redeems you? Okay, so Jesus redeems you. How does he do that? On the cross, yes. Thanks, Rafael. <laughs> okay, so Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price. Okay, so he paid a big price to redeem you back to your inheritance back to your family. So Boaz paid a big price to buy back that land. And even knowing that in doing that, he's, he's actually not thinking for himself because it doesn't benefit him individually, but it benefits his family. And it benefits Naomi's family. They were from the same family. Obviously, they were related. So he's not thinking me. He's thinking family. And it costs him something. But God's purposes come through it. Okay, so when we are born, we sold out to sin. And we need to be brought back into our inheritance. So Jesus dies on the cross. He buys us back in our, our inheritance. When we receive the salvation of Jesus, then it's like you receive that price that has been paid. So it comes into effect. So you are redeemed, literally redemption. And you're brought back to your inheritance. It costs Jesus. It cost him the cross. It cost him his life big price but Jesus not just thinking about himself he's thinking about his family and he brings the family together now in that story this is a ongoing analogy this is a picture of what Jesus does maybe let's look at that scripture in Galatians I'm not Galatians you can look down 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 I think but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because your sons, do you see that picture? Jesus redeems us so that we become sons. So um, Boaz redeems Naomi and Ruth, and they become part of the family, and their sons become his sons. Because your sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. So you receive an inheritance. Boaz buys out the land and 
marries Ruth, this, the sons that come from that become his sons, and they get an inheritance. So Jesus buys us out, we become sons, and we receive an inheritance. So in the story of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, there's Boaz, and Boaz is a picture of what's the role that Boaz portrays. Jesus, okay? He's the kinsman redeemer. Naomi and Ruth are a picture of us, yeah, when we are unsaved, yeah. So they're the picture of someone who is not bought out, but then becomes bought out and comes into an inheritance and owns land and becomes a functional part of God's family, the, the family, family where the inheritance is. Okay, now all of us have received that salvation from God, I believe. So now, in this very moment, Boaz is still a picture of Christ, and we all know people who are still Naomi and Ruth, people who have not yet received the price that was already paid for them, but they haven't received it. But where are we now in that story? Now that you are saved, where are you in the story of Boaz? In the field? Yes. There's two sides of it. One's in the field. What's the other one? Okay. Being a son. Yes. In that case, there's three jokes. <laughs> Trust you, I'll add one. Okay. I'm going to get back to that. So I want to look at the word kinsman redeemer in the original text. So the word is go well. And... Literally, the definition of this word is that it is the verb of gahal. So you get a gahal, and, and a gahal does go well. Okay? So if we look at gahal, it's to redeem, act as a kinsman redeemer, avenge, revenge, ransom, do the part of a kinsman. Number one. Number two, by marrying a brother's widow, to beget a child for him, to redeem from slavery, to redeem land exact vengeance to redeem by payment to redeem with God as subject it's worthwhile to go read in Leviticus um, really the full description of what a kinsman redeemer did it's very enriching and I'm, I can't go into all the parts of it but it, it every time you read an aspect of it and you pull it through to the work of Christ in your life it's actually very revelational but so Guel is a kinsman redeemer what he does is Gaal this is these are the things he does now, there are lots of people in the world who don't know Christ. Okay, so let's say I could come up with a plan to resolve that. My plan would be, if Jesus could come tonight, um, whatever time, any time would be great, and in person manifest himself to every unbeliever in the world tonight at the same time, sit with them, just materialize like in their room or wherever they are, sit with them, Answer their questions, explain to them who he is, love them, heal them, deliver them, and then just lead them to salvation. Would that work? Yes. Is that a good plan? Is it going to happen? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Can God do it? Would it be effective? So why is it not going to happen? 
God really works through us. So as I was preparing the sermon and, and thinking through the reality of that, it's, it's absolutely shocking. It's absolutely shocking that God would choose to work through us rather than just come by himself tonight and sort it all out once and for all. If God could come at like 8 tonight, at least by 10, everything would be resolved and it would be all over. Just all go to heaven. I think I have a very good plan. <laughs> It'd be so amazing if that could happen. Do you think, so, so rather that's not the plan, so rather what is the plan? Does God want the whole world to know him? So what's the plan? Is there a plan? Yes, there's a plan. What is the plan? saw my sermon <laughs> yeah we are the plan so number one I find that shocking like think of yourself and think of the level of excellence at which you could do this job compared to Jesus how well do you, are you measuring up think of my plan for Jesus to come tonight and then think of how we are doing it I think we've we've pulled down the standard quite a bit <laughs> like into the ground <laughs> Yet, Jesus chooses us. He chooses to work through us. So number one, that's shocking. Number two, you have to ask yourself why. I mean, that's a very obvious question for me. Why? Why did Jesus work through us? But if we could just save everyone, then what would growth mean? You know, why would growth then anyways be important? He wants to? Why would he want to? Like, it's like me with the dishes. So there was a time when both my kids really wanted to do the dishes. So I let them, but it's like a nightmare. So instead of just doing the dishes, I have to separate everything, like glasses and things. I have to take it out. Then they mess on themselves. They mess on the floor. They don't wash anything properly. So everything that's in the drying thing is actually still dirty. And they lose interest, like, halfway through. So... After they've done it, it's like it takes me like ten times as long. I let them do it because I'm hoping it's going to pay off one day. But don't buy them into it. <laughs> I'm investing. But it's really just much, much more efficient if I do it. You know what I mean? So if Jesus, why, why would he let us do it if he could do it himself? Because he can. Why would he let us do it? To understand the extent to which God wants relationship with us, which he values relationship with us, it's actually mind-blowing. He wants to reach the world in partnership with us because he values relationship with us. Definitely not because we all have something that he doesn't have or we're so good at it. Or, um, he wants to do it with us despite us, <laughs> the state that we are in. This is how much he loves us. And this is how much he wants relationship with us. It's such a privilege that he would ask us to do things with him. I don't know if my kids get the privilege, understand it, but like it's a privilege for them at this time that I let them wash the dishes because they are not great at it and it makes more work for me. But it is a good time for me with them. Um, but it's... Really, at this time, I'm not really getting anything out of it. It's a privilege for them that I'm letting them do it. 
it's a privilege for us that God invites us to do this with him. It's amazing that he would choose to do it with us and through us. And in this picture, and Rena was correct there, we were Naomi and Ruth, and God brought us out. But now, there's Boaz is God and he is us. Because if Boaz was only God, that's the scenario where Jesus comes tonight and he saves everyone. Can any of us redeem someone? No. Can any of us pay the price? No. Only Jesus can do that, so don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is the redeemer. He paid the price. We could never pay the price, not even a cent of it. Not for anyone. But Jesus is not coming tonight at 8 and just going to save everyone that's unsaved. So Boaz is Jesus and it's us. Biblically, how do we know that God works through us? Do you know what's the biblical foundation for that? The scripture that settled it. Yes, that is a big one. Yeah. That would be the New Testament foundation for it. What's the Old Testament foundation? Moses. When he hit the rock. Good. That's all building on it. So we can go back to Genesis. Show us someone. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, male and female. He blessed them, said them, be faithful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. So if you go back and you get all the context and look at all the words, essentially already in Genesis, God is saying, I give you authority on the earth. Does God have all authority? Yes. I mean, of course, he's God. But he chooses to give us authority on the earth. That is why he, he gave authority to us on the earth, so that we do it with him. But now this is now the way he does it. There's always exceptions with God, but as a norm, he does it with us. Um, go to the next scripture. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God. The whole world is under control of the evil one. So two seemingly paradoxical statements. The whole earth is the Lord's, is it? Yes. But the whole world at the moment, the world is under the sway of the evil one. Okay, so a lot of what is, what is happening in the world is not in God's will. So the whole earth belongs to the Lord, but the authority at the moment is in different places. God gave the authority to people, but a lot of us gave it away to the enemy. So when we, this is part of what happens when we get saved. God gives your authority back to you. You take it back from the devil. You take it back. And you taking it back is you bringing it into the family of God. God gives you as an individual authority, and you choose in which kingdom you use your authority. There's actually not an option not to use your authority. You're actually using it. Um, just depends to which side you're using it. And the more we align with God's heart, the more we use our authority in his kingdom, the more his kingdom authority grows. Not because he doesn't have all authority in he, and because he could just do what he wants. It's because he chooses to. He chose to give it to us, and now he chooses to work through us. And we are the kinsmen, redeemers with him. 
Um, who of you, and I've, I know I've shared this before, some of you might have heard it before, but who of you have um, spoken to someone who's sick or texted, and then you say, I'll pray for you. They, they tell you how sick they are and whatever, and then you kind of say, I'll pray for you. Tears, and the, the, the conversation ends, and then you actually never pray for them. You don't know. Why didn't you pray for them? It wasn't important. I believe. Mm. Yeah, what, what, what did you really want to say? You wanted to say, oh, I'm so sorry, you're sick, I'll think of you. But because you're a Christian, you said, I'll pray for you. But you didn't really mean that you were going to pray for them. Because you didn't really pray for them. So sometimes people say they didn't because they were busy or they forgot. If I told you, if I gave you a guarantee that every time you pray for someone to get healed, they would get healed. If you then say to someone you'll pray for them, will you do it? Yes. So what's the difference? The difference is whether you believe that it matters. Do all people get healed when you pray for them? No, not with me anyways. <laughs> I think there are people who everyone they pray for gets healed. Um, but not everyone gets healed in the way that you would like to see it. But does every prayer matter? Does every prayer make a difference? So if you say to someone you'd pray for them and you prayed for them, would it have made a difference? Yeah, but you didn't because you didn't think it would. Somewhere inside of you, you didn't make the connection that you have that authority. And th this is, there's two big things for me this morning. This is the first one. The first one is God wants to do it with you. He wants to do it through you. Somewhere inside of you, you were believing that Boaz is God and that's it. You didn't pray for the person because somewhere inside of you, you thought God would decide if they get healed or not. And your prayer is not relevant to that. It makes no difference. But it does. If I ask you, you'll tell me that it does. But in this situation, you don't do it. So somewhere underlyingly, I believe that it, do it doesn't. So the first thing I want to say to you this morning is it matters. And God wants to work with you. In, in theological terms, they call this the law of agency. God uses you as an agent. He wants to work through you and with you. Now, sometimes um, we've all had this experience where, say, for instance, you have a colleague that's not a believer and you're trusting for them to know the Lord and you've really spoken into their lives and prayed for them, you know, in your room not by them and really, like, testified, trusted the Lord. You've done everything you can for maybe two, three years. And then suddenly they move away overseas and you lose connection. And it's like, it's like it didn't matter at all. We've had that. <laughs> you don't see any return and it's like you you sometimes sit and you calculate what you've put in and it's it really seems uh, discouraging so the second thing I want to tell you this morning and this I've learned by um, experience is there's a currency in the spirit that's different from the currency here what does the Bible say about sowing if you sow those who sow you will in due season, you will reap a harvest. So this is what I've learned. Let's take a very real example. Um, Esty was working with us in church, and she's amazing. And at some point she told us that she feels the Lord is moving her on. Now there's two ways to think about it. And so it's because some people actually said to me afterwards, aren't you like very upset that she's going and etc. So the one way to think about it is like earthly currency. So 
Esty's amazing. She means a lot to the church. We're losing her. It's a great loss. We're sad about it. Um, the, ch- the church is going to take a knock. Um, we're going to take a knock, etc. The other way to think about it is there's a spiritual currency. Esty's been with us. She's blessed us. We've also invested into her. She moves on, but the investment is in the spirit. So if God moves her on, it's not like it's good for her and bad for us. It's good for her and it's good for us because it's God. With God, there's not like a one person gains, the other one loses. When it's in his will, everyone gains. So the challenge is you don't know what the harvest will look like because it's not like in the world you can invest into a portfolio and you, you when there's a return, the return is in the portfolio that you invested in. When you invest, you don't get a return from another investment that you didn't invest in. Okay, you get that that's not possible. <laughs> but that is exactly what it works like in the spirit. You invest in different places, and sometimes the harvest is where you invested, and sometimes you even fool yourself because the harvest is where you invested, but it's actually not even the harvest from your investment. It's from someone else's previous investment that, that you don't know about. But often, you invest into one portfolio and the harvest comes from another one. And this is what I've realized in the spirit. It's always true. And this is the second important thing for me this morning. Sowing and reaping. If you sow, you will reap a harvest. And I believe the enemy closes our minds to this understanding to discourage us from sowing. Because, I don't know, I've gone through this quite a few times. Years of sowing into someone and it might be that in ways sometimes it's that they really fall away from God. I've had a few people in my life that I've been close to and really walked the road and doing amazing and my heart breaks when they fall away from God and just move away from God completely. Um, That will always hurt. That still hurts me because I love them and it's sad for me. But I know that if you have a natural way of calculating the economy that you put in, <laughs> that could really kill you. No one wants to invest in an investment for five years, then something pops or they go bankrupt or whatever, and you lose everything. That really is depressing, and that will make you more risk-averse, <laughs> and you, it will be difficult for you to continue investing, and you will go through trauma. But in the spirit realm, every investment brings a return. Every investment in God's will brings a return. Just sometimes, often, the return comes from the weirdest places. Something that happened this year. So there's a lot of people that we invest time in, and there's a lot of things that we put out our faith for. And... Sometimes in the spirit you learn to trust God because you can't draw the lines anymore. Then we've also sowed financially in a few places as a church. And then the Lord spoke to Raina and felt that we want to get a church bus. Then someone who is has been here a very short while and could just be here for a while, just came and left, um, who we don't, you never even think of that in your mind. He lives completely somewhere else now, contacts us and donates the whole amount for the bus without knowing that we want the bus. 
this is how it goes. It's not, it's an investment that you made in a lot of different places and turned somewhere completely arbitrary. This is how God does it. This is also how you learn faith. You learn to just expect it, even though you cannot see it. And you learn to just trust God in the same. So that's the second thing I want to encourage you with this morning. So I'm going to finish off, and I think um, what I want to encourage all of us is, uh, obviously in October we're having that series. I'm very excited about it. I've, since the beginning of the year, felt this is the thing the Lord wants to do this year. Encourage us in business, encourage us in our careers, encourage us with provision, his ability to provide. So this is relevant to a lot of people that you know. I really want to encourage you to invite people. Go be the kinsman redeemer with God for the people around you. It's easy in October, just bring them to church. <laughs> um, the sermons will be, you can tell them, it will be around your career and your provision and your calling in the business world and in, in the corporate world and pretty much church beyond the building. So it makes it easy to invite people. So I really want to encourage you to trust the people and to invite them and find your specific way of reaching people. Um, everyone has their own gifting. Everyone does it in their own way. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for um, all the words in the beginning that you were giving and that you are encouraging us and that you're strengthening us, even the wave coming. Just reminded in 2012 where we had like more than 20 dreams from all different people about a wave coming and you were just interpreting that for us as the revival and as the people that you're bringing. Thank you, Father, for um, your heart and your price that you paid for each person. Our families, our colleagues, every person outside of these doors who does not know you. Thank you that you have already paid for them. You've been the kinsman redeemer for them. And I thank you that you encourage us this morning to partner with you, to be the kinsman redeemer with you. Thank you, Lord, that you choose us despite us. Thank you, Lord, that you have all the skill, you have all the faith. And when we partner with you, we just bring our willingness. We just bring who we are. We bring who you've made us to be. We bring out little fishes and bread. Thank you that you are the one who multiplies. You are God. You are the one who saves. You are the one who impacts. Thank you that we can trust you when we partner with you. And I pray, Lord, I'm going to give us 30 seconds. You just ask the Holy Spirit to, again, show you the people around you, unsafe people that needs to encounter Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you bring to mind specific people. If you need to write it down, you need to write it down that you don't forget who God is showing you. Lord, that you give us plans, strategies, and show us how to sow seeds. I'm just going to give a few seconds for the Lord to give you ideas of how to reach them. for that shift in our minds this morning. We trust you for that, those two shifts, Lord. 
that you invite us to partner with you. And um, you can just speak to the Lord. You can tell him that you choose to partner with him. If you want to make that decision this morning, Lord, we want to say we choose to partner with you. We choose the adventure. We choose the risk. Thank you that you choose us for relationship. And we choose relationship. And therefore, we choose to partner with you. And I thank you, Lord, for the second shift in our minds that in the kingdom, every investment has a return. There's always a harvest, even though it might not look like we want it to look like. You never know when it's going to come or from where it's going to come. But thank you, Lord, that every investment has a harvest. Every prayer, every encouragement, every prophetic word, every talking to someone about Jesus, every single time has a return. Thank you, Lord, that you shift our hearts to see that and to rest in that belief. I pray for people here this morning who's never clicked that return. Remind them of the return. Show them where there's been a return, perhaps in a place where they did not sow. That is sowed somewhere else, but then the return came in another place. And I thank you, Lord, that you show them that this morning as an encouragement. And uh, thank you that we can trust you. And we just want to glorify you in Jesus' name.